0: What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, as always, Blake Law. This is episode 56 of the podcast, and we are very, very, very excited you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show does. We are interviewing an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event. We're going to talk about a loss that they had. We're going to break down the mistakes, and we're going to talk about how they plan to learn moving forward from those mistakes. You stop this, Brad. But Brad, speaking of blaming your dice, how often have you done it? Brad does it. Brad does it a lot. He did it. He did it yesterday. He called me up, blamed some dice.
1: I blame it. I blame it all on the alcohol. I just like the song, baby.
0: Yeah, just like the song. (laughs) Well, we're heading down to San Diego where they have been staying classy since the dawn of time. And we are heading to Games Workshop, San Diego. And we're talking about my absolute favorite faction on the planet. We're bringing it back, baby. We're talking Imperial Knights And we're talking about the new book playing into the new Tyranids. So how's it fare out? We all know he lost. We all know it. But let's see what happens. Let's see how he plans to dominate the meta moving forward in his next event. Now, this is part one of the episode. So in this part, we'll be analyzing the game, talking about common mistakes, secondaries, target priority, and all of the above. In part two, we'll be doing a... The deep dive into strategy adjustments and how the player plans to move forward. We're going to talk about how his list plays into your list, my list, Brad's list, all the lists that are out there in the world. We're going to talk about list adjustments, strategies, and don't forget the elite player mindset. Our guest today is the most elusive man in all of 40K. I've been chasing this man down for a year trying to get him on the show. We have finally captured him. He is here to talk to us today about some Imperial Knights. Speaking of Knights, nice, he finished second in the ITC last year, and he's placed top 16 in several events, including the U.S. Open last year in Orlando, in Austin, and most recently in San Diego. This guy loves the free blade Lance, Mr. Brian Jones.
2: Hey, Blake. I'm really excited to be here to chat with you guys, even though it has to be about a loss. it's uh, Anytime I get to talk Knights, it's a blast.
0: Yeah, I'm real excited, man. Now, Brian, I know I just introduced you, but over the weekend, what was your MVP and what unit is on the chopping block?
1: Why do you mess with if you're gonna steal my question in the first <laughs> two seconds, at least say it correctly? You're killing me, boy. What unit was the
0: MVP over the weekend and what units on the chopping block? That's the question.
1: Yeah, but you always threw it out like awkwardly weird. Give it to it. Come on. You have to I- control mojo.
2: I, I got to say, my my MVP would be my biggest surprise of the year. I expected to hate it, but was my Knight Gallon. You know, they were all the rage back when Knights and Codex came out in eighth for a brief minute before the Castellan overtook them, and then they've been kind of consigned to the graveyard. But mine was definitely the MVP. Nice. Absolutely love it. And I think as far as the chopping block goes, well, I know for sure the Moirax is going to get replaced. And I need you to know that that pains me to the core of my soul. (laughs) Oh,
0: that hurts me too.
2: It is my favorite armor class. I think it is such an lightning locks are such an amazing weapon. But oh my gosh, with armor of contempt now, they just bounce.
0: AP2. Yeah, it's rough. But, dude, the chassis on – you know I'm a night nerd. Everyone knows this. Yep. The chassis on the Morax, oh, my gosh. It's like the best chassis of any model in the entire game. It's just so awesome. I love painting I, it.
2: Favorite model ever painted. And it's so easy to build. It's like half plastic, half like resin, which is super interesting, but it's yeah. – I've loved the Moiraxes. I'm trying to convince myself into giving the gravitons on it a try, but two D6 shots for me is consistently three. Yeah. So I, I just struggled to convince myself to pay 165 points for that. But uh, yeah, I think the the Armiger and then believe it or not, Canis Rex is a ton of fun, and I will rave about some of his many oddities. But I'm I haven't landed on if he fits into the list yet. But he brings some super unique benefits that I'm happy to jump into later.
0: I think you need to model. I modeled him. One of my uh, quest has him modeled at the bottom. But I think you just need one that he's just like standing on the hole, just pointing. I think that'd be pretty nice. You notice know, a. Uh
2: I, uh, the, the Canis Rex I'll be rolling out going forward, I've actually got his left shoulder pads stylized after uh, Captain Rex from, from Clone Wars, for oh. anyone who also oh. happens to be a Star Wars buff. Yeah. Just like some plastic card for the blue shoulder pad. So keep an eye out for him if uh, if you happen to play me the next turn that we're at. I'm, that's awesome, I'm hopefully man. bringing him.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about Games Workshop San Diego. So this is their first time going out to San Diego, which is pretty cool. It's a great city. How'd you like it? Was the format pretty similar to your previous experiences? Is as far as Orlando and all
2: that? Yeah, format was pretty similar. I'll say it was a beautiful space. And second time in my life being in San Diego, kind of first time really as an adult to appreciate it. I, I was blown away that the weather is what everyone says. I was absolutely beautiful for the entirety of the event, like low of 65, high of 72, consistent. Just walk around in shirts and a shirt all the time. I see why everyone wants to live there. The hotel was like very well, like it's a cool layout for the resort, really close to the airport, easy to get to great food all around. So I I think they picked like a a great spot as far as locale for somebody who is coming from Orlando the opposite side of the country. So knowing nothing landed got right there got set up. So I appreciate where they chose. And then the space was beautiful for the event space. They had a great setup for the store. They added some kind of cool um, I guess side, side events is not the right thing but some cool addendums to each round uh, to keep people entertained. If you finished up early, they, the first uh, six people who came over and volunteered, they could bring 500 points to their army each. So you wound up with 3,000 points of you know six random guys. And they got to play against an overtuned Warhound Titan. And then uh, (laughs) if if those six people managed to kill it before it killed all of them, then they got to like roll for free stuff from Games Workshop and everything. It was pretty cool. I I, like almost found myself wanting to lose quickly just to go and like jump in (laughs) one and throw a knight at a Titan.
0: Dude, that sounds actually amazing. I love I love them that's what they need to do with these events. I feel like the more wacky stuff they add, the more flavor games workshops can add to their events. So hearing they're doing that is just like, it's amazing. Yeah.
2: It it was a blast. I went and watched two of them. And I mean, I think it's also a great way to just, I mean, again, I went to San Diego from Orlando. I knew nobody, but I left with a bunch of friends, like new numbers in the phone, people to, to stay connected with in 40 K. And I think that, that just that right there was a great way of meeting some new faces i love to hear that uh, i do though
1: because I, I leave every tournament like that a couple new friends a couple new numbers a couple new, pe- new people you connect with like every single tournament it's it's wild and i've been playing forever but you still meet someone new all the time but i think that's part of the, the that's the reason I, I just love going to events fast for that
0: I think people lose sight of that sometimes, man. That's that's the interesting thing, right? Like we all talk about competitive 40k. That's what this podcast is about. But I mean, deep down, like I've thought about this. I'm like, I would literally quit 40k right now if I was gonna go and meet more people, have more fun playing like Legion or something. You know, like I, I, it's just like that's what it's all about, man. Just meeting people, having fun, getting out there. Winning's cool, but I mean, I love to hear that it was such a good event, man. I like talking about. My games more than I like playing them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like winning is a great time, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I flew across the country to play with Toy Soldiers and I'm cool with that. Like I got to have drinks, make new friends in a beautiful place. So Dude. hard to hard to argue with it
0: me and my wife visit San Diego to go to I went to SoCal open like the first year it happened now you know like a million years ago and me and my wife flew out there we're driving in a rental car we, as we were flying in we are like San Diego is so expensive like why do people live in California and we're driving with the windows down i'm like hey you want to uh, you want to move here um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you change your list because of the GW train when you were coming in
2: this was really the first first draft and i finalized it that i wanted to try the Free blade lance i i will say i i am more partial to the gw terrain setup versus player placed it's a person that's my personal preference the day two terrain at gw is a little rougher for knights. there is no doubt once those middle pieces turn to face each other and just completely like cut off two halves of the table it can be rough but i do think they've done a, a good job of balancing it to at least give us a shot You know, that said, Mysterious Guardian found its way into that list specifically because of obscuring and the unfortunate for knights return to prominence of hammerheads and other high strength, high quality shot shooting that can hide behind obscuring and just slam you from across the table that you need to worry about that was a strong concern with my listing that i was running for questoris chassis and only one one well, t- tell
1: us tell us about the list real quick before we continue on that so we can we can make references to that
2: yeah sure i guess that would that would help everybody understand right um so as i mentioned the guy on the chopping block my purple princeps he's a, a little knight armiger moirax with twin lightning locks great guns i still stand by it, it explodes on sixes for two additional hits I, you know, convince myself that with Canis Rex, I get three additional hits on a six. That sounds fun. In the Freeblade Lance, you're getting to give each individual knight uh, its own martial tradition, in addition to the Freeblade Lance kind of half Mechanicus, half Imperialis benefits they get. So my my little Boynax has got Arntz or Christians, which gives him plus one to his save against single damage weapons. And then you go, well, wait a minute, if you Bondsman him, now two damage weapons are reduced to one damage. You get the kind of all his dust thing going on from Thousand Suns, pretend I'm then for a little bit. Makes him deceptively tough. So that was, that was how I convinced myself to bring him along. And then my Warlord, looking at a Knight Errant, uh, brought him as a Princeps. So he's Questor Mechanicus. Uh, opens him up to being able to Bondsman a Questorus each turn. But he has to be your Warlord if you're bringing a Princeps. So that's why he's locked in there. He's got two traits. I uh, Brought him with Ion Bulwark. So he's always got that four up. Uh, knowing that he doesn't have an invuln in combat, I want to make him as tough as I can. And then he's also carrying revered knight for me. So that gives me an additional honor at the start of the game. So at that point, moving from one to two, which is nice. And then the additional benefit of that is actually that he always fights first, which feels like, you know, it might be a throwaway, but with an errant, you've got the chain sword on the arm or a fist if you want it. And again, knowing that I I don't have an invuln on him on combat, that might give me the chance if you're throwing two units at me for me to... Interrupt without CP and keep them alive. So,
0: an extra honor is such a big thing, too, though, because when you get to virtuous, it is a big deal. Can you explain the honor system? Because knights are
2: noobs. Sure. A lot of
0: people may not hear yeah. that or know what that does yet.
2: And that's actually, I built this list around the honor system, so the next night I get into it as well. But honor, so knights start out at one honor. So at one, you are honored. You are obeying the the coach of Alric. You are upholding your oaths and doing what you can to protect the people. Each army is going to take two oaths. People have to decide that in list building, so it's not like a change per game type of decision. Those two oaths are going to dictate both how you can generate more honor for your army. The scale ranges from one to six five you become virtuous it's also at six and you cannot go beyond six if you drop below one to zero you are dishonored What that means, other than needing to sit down at the table and hang your head in shame, is that you are also (laughs) not getting the benefits that your oaths offer. Each oath offers both an honor benefit, so something all your knights get as long as your army is honored, and then usually something much nicer at virtuous that, again, all your knights can get once you're there. So I looked at uh, Lalo the Tyrants, which offers a single reroll to hit or wound as as long as you're honored for all of your knights. Which, as I've seen, every other faction have something like that. It really pays off. And when you're thinking of the kind of quality shooting, you think of a lot with knights or like that single quality melee attack you might be going for. That can really pay off. And then at Virtuous, that oath actually offers a per battle round one free six for your army and that is after a roll or re-roll on it you just turn the dice to a six
0: that's
2: pretty good and that for anybody who's just had all right you know i got a four up and i got to re-roll my pocket and then you you know you've wept silently at your table as you failed twice Uh, having that six in your back pocket is phenomenal you can use that on a hit wound advance or save that wound in that save roll is just it's huge for those swing moments in a game. So when I saw that, and then on the flip side, uh, defend the realms is my other oath that I take. And the first one of that, you generate an additional Battleforge CP each turn. So Knights, Imperial Knights players right now are generating two a turn. And when you're a CP hungry army that Knights can be, I looked at that and I was like, well, that's a no brainer. Even better at Virtuous, every Knight on the table becomes obsec. And if they already Ooh. are, they count as an additional three models.
1: It's so what, nuts to have
2: uh, baby Knights be obsec eight obsec eight and then if you can have a big night that already is he's in obsec 13 which is just (laughs) that was what made me fall in love with the Freedlade lance and with our old eighth edition codex it really gave us a way to play the game with almost all your knights being able to be obsec, so when I saw that as an as an oath benefit i, I zeroed in and was like okay i'm going to build an army around these two oaths. I really like them. How can I both take advantage of the benefits and make sure that you know i i'm not setting myself up to be dishonored and and you know just have to like have the shame bell ringing next to me for, <laughs> for two or three rounds of the game um and that's where I guess coming back to my my knight errant that's where I landed with making sure he got revered knight to to keep him with that Plus one honor for my whole army starting out. Um, now I'm starting at two with just, you know, two knights in. Just pretty exciting. And then I also snuck a relic on him. Gave him the armor, the Sainted Ion for that two up armor mm-hmm. save. Again, just going back to going, I don't have an invuln on him. And the, the downside to taking revered knight is that if you, Blake or Brad, come and kill that knight, I lose an honor on the spot for not mm-hmm. protecting my revered knight. So want to make sure he's not going to be the easiest target on the table for you to want to pop.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. 2 plus A is pretty, pretty nice right now, too. Man, I love this list. I love yeah. I love every model in it. I'm uh, real excited to dive, uh, dive into it, man, especially the yeah. uh, Canis Rex. Man, we haven't seen him in a hot minute.
1: It's so funny for me because you guys are totally all about knights. Uh, any of the knights gives me heart palpitations because i am such a cheap army builder i'm like anything over a hundred points starts to make me get a little jittery and you guys are like yeah, take a million point guy i'm like uh oh god yeah. oh, it's so risk, it all. <laughs> risk it all man that's
0: six, yeah. that auto six is so freaking good with knights especially like the questing you can get the suit. double has on a, it too yeah, dude, the majera can't. has like so a good. um he has a five up in like okay yeah. like that bad nasty shot
2: you're just waiting like oh that hammerhead yep.
0: not not happening
2: i wish i wish there's a way to stop the hammerhead oh, I, no I got in bones no involves and it's i i convinced myself that it was like maybe it was ap4 ap5 so i'm like all right like if i got a two upset nope there's just nothing oh. right now so so that part's a bummer <laughs> if you got to feel no pain though you can auto six one of the damage Oh, one in there you can, yes well, one but yes. you know, the Megara is actually the other kind of key component as far as honor goes with my list. Um, so he's Questor Imperialis. Again, you could mix and match in the Free Blade Lance, which I, to me, really appeals to me. And the reason that he's doing that is he's bringing the Banner Macharius Triumphant as a relic. And so that'll sound familiar. It, did something similar in our old codex where it gave obsec it continues to do that here so i've immediately got an obsec counts as 10 night right off the board right out out of the gate but the other thing it does is it also brings one additional honor to the start of my game turn one I'm at three honor before we've rolled any dice. So that means if I can get two points in my first turn, so if I can uphold my two O's, I'm virtuous across the board at the end of turn one. So I'm wow. looking at potentially being obsec across my entire army at the bottom of turn one. Or if I'm top of turn, when Blake, when you start rolling your dice, I am already obsec. Wow. Which is just, I, I jumped. To me, that was just too cool not to say and to be like, all right, So you mean at the bottom of turn one, I could have a free six that I could, you know, for all those times that I'm going, I just really need to make this (laughs) save, You know, I got keep that in my back pocket.
0: What's really cool about that is that six becomes more valuable the earlier you get it, obviously. So every turn you get that in addition to, you know, the later you get it, obviously, the less value it is. So be able to get turn one is absolutely
2: massive.
1: So it's also a player turn.
2: Yeah. Wow. So that's what I'm saying. If I get top of one. And now you don't get it until the end of, because you you would cal- calculate where your honor is at at the end of your player turn. But speaking of Canis Rex, and I'll I'll jump, I guess, just to finish out, my Magera also brings Blessed by the Secretians as a Warlord trait. It, it may seem like one you could pass over, but so any six to wound gives a mortal on top of whatever damage. You're like, I mean, are you really going to get enough dice to that? But then you look at the Magera and you remember the Rad Cleanser's 2d6 shots and it auto wounds on twos. So you're fishing for sixes to get an extra board on top of that. All right. You've got the plasma fusel. And then that lightning cannon, you know, I I had one game and it was actually uh, it was against Taylor's nids where I rolled four sixes on the hit rolls for that lightning cannon. And I was like, oh, my God, I have 14 hits with a strength seven damage three gun. This is amazing. (laughs) And all of a sudden, all those chip mortals that I could potentially get on the wound, it adds up over the course of the game that I found. I wanted to play with it and try that one out because Chip mortals can be huge as far as um, oh. getting things across. Massive, especially with the damage
0: output that gun puts in anyway, so that's pretty awesome.
2: The other thing I would say is I did pay to upgrade him to a Master of Justice, um, which, just for the title, was worth the 30 points, but uh, it also gives him um, an additional martial tradition from the Imperialist tree. So the Magera was coming in with Mysterious Guardian, uh, which I thought sounded really, really cool for any knight player out there. Mysterious Guardian lets you, if that knight is in strategic reserves, it can come in as if it was one turn earlier, and they specifically put in there it overrides mission rules so that means turn one in the knock mission packet you can bring him in from strategic reserves if it's turn two and when you're talking about that obscuring terrain and how i built this list for it being able to go all right so i could come in for one of three board edges turn one and if i'm top if i'm top of one that means he's locked in his deployment zone he's not hopefully pushed has pushed out to screen me out so that hammerhead that my opponent's probably trying to hide behind obscuring terrain i can get an entirely different angle on than he ever thought was possible so that was That was where Mysterious Guardian came into play. And the tie-in with that is that extra martial tradition I could give him. I gave him Hunter Beasts, which gives him plus what to hit against vehicles and monsters. Again, ding, ding, ding. This guy was like in my head for every time I dreaded a hammerhead showing up. <laughs> and then the second thing, which unfortunately never came up, which is mind-blowing with how many knights nice players are out there now with Chaos and Imperial, but you also get plus one damage against Titanic.
1: I was just about to throw them out there. Like
2: I said, he, he's good for the hammerheads, but man, he's great against other knights. And then there's one throwaway additional benefit on there that, again, doesn't seem important, but if he does anything for Lelo the Tyrant to generate honor meaning he kills a unit to contribute towards that you get two honor not one so i can be walking away with three honor points up to six end of bottom of turn one i'm maxed out i'm at virtuous and i'm good to go wow, if he happens huge. to get the right shots in. super huge that's awesome
0: with the cp generator is, is that going to give you four turn with the new it'll just be your turn is when you get to one ah. i think
2: okay I, i'm super curious to see and I, i'm happy to discuss with you guys later because we have in addition to that oath giving us an honor or a cp we have two other ways to generate a cp a turn and i'm super curious to see if that means like we could go four in one turn four in our <laughs> I, player turn. One I, of the other.
1: I, you know i'm gonna wait to talk about that until we see the thing but like it I, they also do it in different uh phases so i mean i am curious about yeah. what, how that's going to be ruled because yeah. you
0: could just load up on cp and there's not a lot of books that can do that right now either.
2: Right. No. <laughs> so. And it also, you know, one thing I'll say for nights with this new mission pack, just reading the preview games workshop put out, I'm a little terrified of my list building, right? I started 6 CP with this list. So that means in, in the new world, I'm at negative 2 because <laughs> I maxed out on world <laughs> traits. Right. And that's, that's really something I got to think about in list building. Yeah. But if I know, all right, going in, I could hopefully be, build up my bank pretty quick. Maybe I can be that aggressive yeah. pre-game.
0: What mission were you guys playing? Tell me first, Brad, tell me about the list that he played. Well, let's go. To, I would say we should probably save the list. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I, I should probably do that. I have it up and ready to go. It's Leviathan Tiernan's. I don't know if you guys have heard about them before. They're doing all right in the meta. So we've got 3 Tyrant guard, a unit of Zoe's, a Neurothrope, a winged hive Tyrant which automatically comes with the Reaper of Obliterax because uh, Battle Scribe says you just have to automatically have it in. Big unit of Tyranid Warriors, nine strong. Three throbes for that minus one to hit. Two Carnifexes with heavy Venom Cannons. Two Harpies. One of them, of course, has the Synaptic Enhancement. And then we've got a Walking Hive Tyrant with the Chad Gullet, a four-man unit of Tyranid Warriors. Death Leaper with his shenanigans being Obsec. And then a four-man Ravenor unit.
2: Well, That sounds pretty mean. Yep. And we were, we were playing on a hammer and anvil deployment. And, and I guess real quick, the other two, I've got Canis Rex, I've mentioned, and then a Knight Gallant in there who was my MVP. And as I'll tell you, as we go through this game, this was the game where I just, I chickened out. I, I loved him too much and I failed to utilize yeah, the yeah, way it okay. needs to be done. He uh, has to go
1: to pound town.
2: I know. And to I, I, town. I, but that Chad Gullet, man, like that heavy venom cannons are no joke. And, and oh, no. <laughs> seeing, seeing two harpies, one at each quarter on the far side of the table pointed at you. Two fexes with a heavy venom cannon. Two hive tyrants. One walking, one winged. One of them carrying the shard gullet. I looked at that list. I looked at Taylor on. Okay, so the alpha here is, is just terrifying. <laughs> The thing is, you know, is you
1: got, what were you thinking going into this? Because, man, I feel that the alpha could be just ridiculous for either one of you. Because with the, the huge amount of heavy Venom cannons, plus the Chad gold of course, and then you, you coming back, your guns, however, and the fact that he can't really hide those harpies from you, you could also piece out multiple people. This seems like such a crazy, dangerous matchup. What were your thoughts going into the match? Give us your uh, secondaries and your basically your general battle plan.
2: Yeah. So, and that's, I'll tell you, I was kind of salivated coming into it. i I'm like, oh man, two huge beasts. They can't hide from me. Like finally somebody else has to suffer with scared <laughs> terrain, not helping them. I'm so glad. But the thing I've got to remember the, the not, I would say the great equalizer, but I, I don't think that the two lists might be on the same playing field just now, but I looked at it and I went, all right, so he's got a neurothrope. He's got a floating bunch of zone thropes, the two hive tyrants. I, I've seen the mortal wound output that kind of psychic phase can put out. So I looked at it and went, no matter what, I'm going to have harpies down my throat. It's really hard to hide from a Carnifex. Eight-inch move, 36-inch range on that gun. Like I got a couple of inches, maybe somewhere on the table I could, I could hide, but not looking good there. So I said, as I looked at deployment, I went, all right, I'm going to plan to not have first turn because I, I'm going to plan for the worst here, hope for the best. And that means I'm going to deploy pretty conservatively because if he gets first turn, I don't want... Him to have a huge psychic phase on top of what could be a destructive shooting phase. I felt pretty good about, you know, the invulns and being able to rotate against the heavy venom cannons. That if I can make enough saves, maybe everybody's still on the board. Maybe I've got a shot here, but that. There's just nothing to be done against that nit psych phase, and I, I've seen zone throws roll a nine, mortal wounds smite on me one too many times. It's, <laughs> it's made me gun shy. So as I walked in, I really thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna deploy pretty conservatively here to make sure that even if I go first, I don't have to eat it. And part of the logic with that was um, that night gallant that I brought, it's got land strider, so it's got a 14 inch base move. It treats advances of one's advance and charge rolls of one and two as three. That errant can give it. Plus one to its advanced charge rolls, as well as advance and charge, charge, which is yeah. huge. So I, I'm, you know, I think of that thing as a 22 to 34 inch, really almost definite threat range. So I can afford to be conservative. Let him push up a little bit with those eight nine inch movements, right, and then counter charge hopefully, and, and really work it to its max. And one of the things I will shout out to everybody right now to warn yourself is you got to remember that harpies they can drop spore mines if you don't go first. And I will uh, <laughs> I will give you the spoiler alert that I did not go first in this game. Um, I did take, for my secondaries, I took Grind Them Down, Yield No Ground, which is one of the knight faction secondaries. I kind of call it improved stranglehold because we don't have to score it turn. I look at it as you don't have to score turn one. You can't. But to me, that's a benefit because stranglehold sometimes as knights forces you to push out and immediately grab three objectives. And maybe you don't want to be that aggressive. Yield gives me that buffer, uh, and then I also took assassination into his list. It just turned out to be the best secondary as far as possible points wise. Knowing he was going to be aggressive with those hive tyrants, it would force him to maybe think think that through before giving me those secondaries. And it offered more points than a poor the witch. And because I was using my faction on yield no ground, I knew I needed needed to go with a kill secondary there. So that's where I ended up. Taylor, my opponent took Titan Hunter, which against me, you're any Imperial Knights list, you're you're silly not to. Amazingly, my list will max out Titan Hunter. But not bring it down, which is the <laughs> first time I've ever had that happen. He also took psychic interrogation because, you know, why Why not? Especially when four of my knights are characters and I have no way to deny the witch. And then he took stranglehold.
0: Are all your knights characters? So is the Morax not one as well?
2: The Moirax is not a character. It's a little bit harder to give out. The, we can only give out the character keyword, right? With the knight lance and then knight baron twice. And then that, that's part of why King of is so appealing, because he brings a fourth character without needing to take up one of those slots, which is nice. But yeah, all four of my big boys are characters, so once you're within 24 inches of, of any of them, I'm just eating psychic interrogation. But you know, Brad. To back to kind of what you were asking me about what I was thinking in deployment. That was the other thing. If he gets first turn, I'm going to deny him three points right away on psychic interrogation by deploying conservatively. And I've seen that pay off in several games where somebody can't get that that first turn, and they're, then they want to push, they want to be aggressive because they're going. All right, I missed three on a secondary. I need to need to get out. So I like putting any kind of pressure i can on my opponent without having to do anything and and that kind of lets me do that
0: what is your what is your conservative deployment look like versus a list like this like because i know it's tough with knives because you're just out there
2: and that's I, i will be very grateful that we had that hammer and anvil deployment so um i actually have my my gallant on the back on my board edge dead center so he's in between the two large pieces of obscuring terrain uh back on my side of the table basically touching the um the board edge. I had the Moirax uh, pushed up on his right inside of the building benefits from obscuring. So there was enough stuff to block him further down the road that I could get him in there to hold an objective right away. Um, I had my Rex over on the right side of the table. And then over on the left had my Magera as well, which I elected to not put into strategic reserves this game. And then I had the Knight Errant kind of in the back left area so that he could make sure to get his bondsman over to the Gallant before moving away.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: What influenced your decision to not reserve the Magera here? Uh, when I looked at Taylor's army, it's a lot of bodies, and it's a lot of bodies that can kind of move and spread. And so with Again, that that of War deployment on the day two terrain, there weren't a lot of lot avenues of shooting that I would be able to pick up coming out of strategic reserves that I couldn't get deploying him on the table. Having him on the table forces some choices for Taylor rather than like kind of taking them away, right? He's got to figure out who he wants to kill. And the thing I kept reminding myself is that those harpies, if they come screaming across the table turn one, the cleanser works on them. They don't have vehicle keyword. It auto wounds on too. With
1: with the Sharpies being on the board, though, he could have pushed him out really bad too. Yeah, you could have made it so he couldn't even come on, basically.
2: Yep. at that point in time yeah so I, I i wanted him on the table for just all of those the pros definitely outweighed the cons and and that was a risk in the back of my head that nice. he could get stuck off
0: so tell us kind of how it played out so you got second turn here and so he mm-hmm. got the alpha strike so what happened on that turn one
2: so he got the alpha strike. he got the alpha strike unfortunately pushed up he he God, that chad gullet man i've never had any kind of gun other than like I don't know. Maybe, maybe not even really a hammerhead because it's guaranteed damage. But the chat—it's just every shot five damage, and every heavy venom cannon four damage. And so those two harpies push forward, basically right up to the edge of my deployment zone. One of them had synaptic, and the other did not. So that he used the Zoanthrope imperative to give all those monsters a four-up invuln. So they pushed right up close. Uh, they unloaded into the gallant because he died. He was like, as when I explained it to him, he was like, so that's got to die. <laughs> he, he could immediately see the the fear of that running into any of his Hive Tyrants. And he put through 13 damage on it. And then because of the range, you know, I wow, I managed to outrange, you know, 36-inch guns with nine-inch movement somehow. But he put another 14 wounds onto my Knight Errant. So, you know, I I felt like I got lucky with saves. I'd rotated on the Gallant once the Harpies declared against him. Uh, I waited for them. He tried to bait out Rotate, which, uh, again, a great strategy for any of player out there. He fired the single kind of cannons first with the Carnifexes and then the first Hive Tyrant. And then once the Harpies declared and I knew that Chad Gallant would probably be following, went ahead and comfortably pop my Rotate to try to keep the Gallant from getting bracketed because I knew he'd repair that one wound coming into the next turn take him out of bracket and hopefully give me full movement. Yeah. Um, And so with, I mean, he pushed way, way up, but the, Again, the part I just I, I can't seem to lock down in my head anymore is that those harpies draw four mines and he placed them perfectly. By putting those two harpies between the two pieces of kind of smaller obscuring terrain that are in the middle of the day two GW setup, he completely blocked the middle of the table where he'd moved up his Raveners, both hive tyrants, uh, and one of the Carnifexes. And you know, as as he's moving them up in his phase, I'm drooling, going, All right, they're in business, they're in the danger zone for the gallant to get there. I'm going to I'm going to wreck some some nits here. And with everything he was able to push forward on my turn, I had to clear the mines with the moirax, which I will say it was ideally suited for with the, you know, the number of shots and everything it had split the lightning locks one and one to clear them, but wound up only being able to charge his screen of raveners and tyrant guard. I couldn't clear them because of the way the obscuring terrain and the spore mines pushed me back. And the fact that I had to kill the two Harpies first was proud of the megara with that plus one to hit against, you know, vehicles and monsters and the Rad Cleanser. It took down a Harpy completely on its own. As I mentioned before, that was the one time in the game I rolled four sixes with that lightning cannon. And I nice. immediately turned It and was like, why couldn't I have done this against the Hive Tyrant? <laughs> but God dropped both of the Harpies, dropped both of the units of Spore Mines that he dropped. And by the end of the turn, the Raveners and the Tyrant Guard were dead, but... I unfortunately was sitting there with my night Magera and my Night Gallant and Canis Rex coming up behind them, just staring at at two Hive Tyrants that were very, very happy to countercharge. And then, so in his his turn, to able to bring them forward, able to bring forward the Zone Thrust and the Neurothrope, and he did nineteen mortals on on the Gallant <laughs> to just kill it, like just psychic phase dead, just nothing to be done. And it, you know, I, I'll throw out for anybody who's a night player thinking through how they build their list you do lose out on that five up mortal stratagem uh benevolence the machine gun if you're Questor Imperialis so I just had to like look at my nightgown and be like come on buddy you just take it you can do it <laughs> but just too many too many mortals and so i I've I've got to give a lot of credit to Taylor in the way he played and placed everything in his turn one and then just for myself I, I popped calculated targeting on my knight errant try and and managed to only do one six and do three. I rolled a one on the damage. So D2 plus, or sorry, two plus one mortals. I did three mortals with it for three CP. Not my greatest expenditure CP in my, my life. But withing a little bit of the shooting there not being able to, I was left with two Raveners and one Tyrant Guard after my shooting. And I had to charge them. I couldn't, there's no way for me to get around them. And so I, I got to tip my hat to his his placement. Well done, as a as a Nids player. But I was, you know, that that one dice roll away, I felt like from from being able to to get through them and really make that turn one hurt.
0: So wh- how? So he he charge you. He did. Uh, he killed the. you said he killed the Gallant. How did the take a, take the brunt of both charge phases from the Tyrant? I guess or
2: the the Gallant died in the psychic phase. The Magera then suffered from the remaining Venom Cannons and the Chad Gullet um so he was left i mean he was at eight wounds left going into the charge phase so i'm going all right i've got the cp to interrupt i just got to get through that first that first fight and uh unfortunately that reaper of obliterax uh you know he, he looked at it and went you know what i'm going to go ahead and pop the cp for reroll all wounds here uh i'm going to make sure that i can kill it and again he was imperialist for me no five up against mortals so making sure all those attacks came through popping mortals up front and as soon as i failed two saves my, my Magera did heroically go up in flames to bite back at whoever he could. So I was very proud of him there, dropped some mortals, uh, got the Hive Tyrant to where I was able to. Canis Rekt killed him immediately in my following shooting phase. But it's a little too, little too late uh, at that point. If you're a Knight player out there, my advice would be don't trade a night Gallant and, uh, and a Magera for a unit of Tyrant Guard and, and Raveners. It's not a good trade. And then this was also one of my funniest moments because I got really excited in the next turn and charged Canis Rex into the other Hive Tyrant. I got fight lasted with Paroxysm, I believe is the the psychic ability I got. Not fully thinking about it, I'm going whatever. I'm getting him in there. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to use Canis Rex. So we get into the fight phase. He's like, "All right, so let's you know, does he have an Involved in Combat or am I bypassing?" I'm like, "Oh, of course I've got it." So for those of you at home, Canis Rex does not (laughs) Involved in in Combat. He's a character. He's got some really beefy stats. Five attacks, two-up weapon skill, two-up ballistic skill, all kinds of fun extra rules baked into his data sheet. Not one of those gives him his involvement in combat.
1: (laughs) And then and the narrator comes in, and that's what Brian realized.
2: He, yes. <laughs> yeah. he done goofed. That one uh that stung a little bit. But you got that was one of those moments where you and your opponent kind of got a laugh where you're just like, I, I got too excited, didn't think about that fight last. Because all all I was thinking about going into that combat is uh, again, Canis Rex Questor Imperialis, and we have an amazing one CP stratagem, which is linebreaker that allows any Questor Imperialist knight after they fought, they can consolidate an additional three, so six inches. In any direction, as long as they end up closer, either closer to an enemy model or closer to the opponent's board edge. So you can consolidate right out of combat. So I went into that going, all right, that's my plan. That's my plan. That's my plan. Even if I hit and I can't kill it, I'm just going to move away and use that as a hop skip to get onto the objective we were next to. I'm Opsec 10. It's mine. Primary swing. I'm in a good place. And, you know, that was game six. uh, Last game of the day on game two. Got that brain drain. And um, that was the moment that I said, you know what? That was fun combat. Let's take a break. We'll each go grab a drink, <laughs> and uh, we'll come back and finish out. Because I kind of um, knew, kind of knew where the the end of the game was going at that point.
0: Damn. But, yeah. Really wish he kept his involved. Gotta tell you, that'd be great. That would be good. I feel like he needs it, man. He's like a he's a
2: hero. He's a hero of the Imperial. You gotta give him the involm. He's got so many other cool abilities, particularly the play into combat with him. You know, he's getting extra hits on sixes. He's the Freedom's Hand Thunder Strike Gauntlet he's got does mortals on sixes to wound. You know, he's he's bringing a lot in. that you want to fight with him? But uh, I would advise everybody make sure you got a definite plan and you are not fight lasted. If you're going to commit him, double check that for your opponent, that there's not going to be a way to do that. Linebreaker is amazing with him. Go in, hit whatever it is as hard as you possibly can and then slide out, but just make sure you you're not going to get stuck in and then unfortunately wrecked. Kane <laughs> is wrecked.
1: Kane yes. is uh, uh, got wrecked. <laughs> he did eject
2: successfully, though, uh, and I will say he did shoot and do two damage with his uh, Archaeotic pistol in my face, so you I'm very eject. proud of him for that. So, exactly. Oh. exactly For every night player out there, this is kind of, you know, you look at that kit you go, oh, it's cool. Got Bring a little night pilot to work day um you know he's got his like his toolbox and his little strut as he's going but he actually essentially ejects as if it was a destroyed transport when canis rex is destroyed as long as you don't roll a one which i did the first time he died i'll (laughs) let you know in game four uh but as long as you don't roll a one he comes out safely within three inches and yes he does lose super heavy walker and ion shield but he actually keeps his obsec he keeps all of his traits he's got a pistol that's 15 inch Strength five, AP two, two damage. Yeah. And if you take renew the vows, he can do that as his action as long as he's close to the table, and still counts for everything else. He still technically keeps that titanic keyword, so that is five DP if you have him do it. So there's a little side benefit—not a side benefit, but when he dies, it's not not the absolute worst it could be because you still got you got a it's model,
0: steal an objective, though. yeah. So, you've got an
2: obsec model that counts as ten.
0: Man, that's <laughs> that that's, that's so pretty weird. Cool. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on, man. We're, I'm looking forward to part two. You're you you're about to get Bradning. The braddening is a part two. He's going to ask you a lot of questions. It's a whole experience. You should have asked a lot of the other guests about it beforehand. You really prepped yourself for <laughs> like, your homework, but uh, we're going to go into this thing blind. We're doing it live, baby. Can't, Can't wait. Care. I've Make got a beer in hand, bad. so I'm ready to go. All right. Uh, yeah, this uh, is a uh, unbroken after dark. dark. <laughs> um, all right, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check out our other podcasts. We have the Art of War vanilla flavored with now Nick Nativati and Paul Murphy. We have the Art of War very, very, very Australian down under with the very late, very great Adam Cavalieri. We, of course, are the Art of War pistachio, the flavor you didn't know you loved until you tried us. Thanks for listening to another part like what you just listened to check out art of war and the art of war down under podcast on the
1: competitive 40k network the art of war 40k.com